Let's come before God's word. As I get ready, you can open your Bibles to 1 John 2, 7 through 11. That's very close to the back of the Bible. If you open it to the back and there's Revelation, just flip a few titles forward and you'll find 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John 2, 7 through 11. right. Y'all maybe know this phrase, if I've told you once, told you twice, told you a thousand times, you maybe heard it a number of ways, right? You've heard it somewhere, right? If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, okay? It prefaces a reminder, right? A reminder to do something now, again, that we've known to do before, And now, while that idiom is usually used in kind of a scolding, annoying tone, the Apostle John is writing to us with a similar preface, though a different tone. So let's hear what the Apostle has to say to us. 1 John 2, 7 through 11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to tell you again, right? That's the posture here. Well, what is he saying? It's pretty straightforward. Love one another. Love one another. That's the commandment that our Lord is giving us. It's an old one, but it needs practicing anew. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How to hear an old commandment and practice it anew, okay? So love one another. It's obvious from the context. John says, verse 9, that the one who hates his brother is still in darkness. But verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Light versus darkness, that's the situation, right? Love versus hatred, that's the action. This comes from John's experience with Jesus on the last night that he shared with his disciples. This is often known, as he records it in his gospel, as the upper room discourse. This is in John, the gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17 which I highly recommend reading along with this letter. You will see how they go in tandem, okay? 
In this discourse, wherein Jesus gives a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. He tells them, abide in my love. So it's about love. But note something else, too, about this. When we say a commandment to love, what do we mean? What do you imagine when you hear the word commandment? We probably all imagine some sort of rule, maybe positively, maybe negatively. Do this, don't do this, right? And that is right, but there's more to the notion of commandment. Commandment, entole in Greek, mostly conveys also a sense of commission, enactment, right? As Pharaoh would say, so let it be written, so let it be done, right? Or better yet, when God in the beginning made the heavens and the earth, he said, let there be light, and there was light, right? To command is to enact. Commandments begin and hem in the way to make something. They bring into being. And so when we hear the commandment to love one another, we are not merely hearing a suggestion. Y'all should care for one another. Nor are we hearing merely a threat. Y'all better love one another. Okay? What we have is a commission. We have a job to do. We have something to bring about with one another and with God. That's why John uses a seemingly kind of odd phrase, at least I found it a bit strange to parse out, that the new commandment, if you look at verse 8, the new commandment is in him, that is God in Christ, and in you. He's saying that the one who loves, therefore, the new commandment is in him and that it is being fulfilled in him. It is being fulfilled in brought to reality, made true in you. Because true doesn't just mean factual, does it? It means actual. It means real. Who's a true friend? A real one. A friend in deed. We want friendship right? Real friendship, true friendship, the way John describes it in the beginning of his letter, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands, which we have looked upon, incarnate, huggable, with us, for us, right? It has to have weight and substance. Love had to be brought to life in Christ, and he intends to bring it to life in us. That's why we're called beloved. That's why God commands to enact, let there be love. So that's the commandment. Now you've got to practice it. right? We have to practice the truth, as John says in chapter 1, verse 6. We have to practice the truth. And that's why Pastor Warren in the past few times has talked about tests, right? We have to try it out, don't we? So how do we practice loving one another? 
There's going to be a lot of ways throughout this book that we can talk about this. But today I want to focus on this old versus new motif that John is playing out here. What's old about the commandment and what's new about it? And that's going to help us understand some ways that we can look to live into it. Okay? So on the one hand, it's an old commandment. Nothing we haven't heard before. Why does John bother explaining this? Well, perhaps the apostle was being accused of some new, innovative teaching. Perhaps his calls for honest, sacrificial, tangible love for one another was seen as too soft or too hard, too lofty or too worldly. We hear that today, don't we? I mean, think of calls that are direction, like directly actionable. Do you have neighbors living in blatant sin who make you uncomfortable? Invite them to dinner and get to know them. Do you pass folks in the hallway or on the streets? Invite them to eat with you, hear their stories. Do you feel that someone is hurting around you? Ask them, pray with them, stay with them. If you don't know people like this, go find them. <laughs> These are actionable commands. But these sorts of calls to love are easily dismissed by us. Maybe they're too open or liberal or worldly or, ironically, too difficult or impractical or unrealistic. Well, which is it? Surely someone preaching such things must be preaching an agenda. I hear this a lot as a pastor. We can all easily dismiss these things. And now listen, John says, I don't know who you are listening to about what the gospel is, but do not be deceived. Those who are righteous practice righteousness. Those who say they're in the light but do not love are liars. Those who say they protect doctrine while not protecting their neighbors are liars. Those who say that they have become beloved elect but spend their time avoiding sinners, worrying about sinners, posting online, lambasting sinners, scheming to exclude sinners from our midst are liars. And do not obey the truth. Beloved, we are prone to treat our belovedness to, as an excuse to raise our eyebrows, stick up our noses, turn our backs, point our fingers, or just keep our heads down, rather than the very reason to lay our life down and humble ourselves and posture ourselves before others to get to know them and have them know Christ in us. And we have to be snapped out of it. And that's why something old can sound like something new, because we always need the reminder, right? And that's why he says, yet... At the same time, verse 8, it is a new commandment I am writing to you. Okay, well, you just made a big deal about it being old, so why are you calling it new? This is a fair question, okay? 
What's new is the one that John is proclaiming. That is the life made manifest, the truth made flesh, love incarnated among us, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the one who has given us this commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, mine, if you have love for one another. That's John 13, 34. The commandment is true in him. Christ Jesus is the enactment of the commandment of God to love. He is its fulfillment. And thus in him, beloved, we too share in that commandment to love. He's like the center of gravity that orders and brings everything in and yet as a source of energy radiates it back out. Him, he is love, new, renewed, realized. Okay? And how? How do we share in that? Again, there's a lot of ways that we can talk about love, right? Like, it's not something that we're going to exhaust in this time. And I encourage you, listen to other sermons, read about it, digest it, talk about it with one another. But this morning, I want to focus on four ways that Christ Jesus' commandment to love is new and that we can share in that commandment. And a shout out to the late Reverend John Stott, who has helped corroborate some of these notions. So the first newness is a new emphasis, a new priority. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, or just listen along. So it's going to be the first gospel, so flip back a little bit. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Some people have come to ask Jesus a question. They say, teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now this was a much debated question of the age. And great teachers strove for great answers. It was not unique to our Lord Jesus to emphasize that loving the Lord, quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5, was the greatest commandment. It was unique for him to couple it with Leviticus 19, 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Furthermore, it was utterly unique to say that on these two depend all the law and the prophets. Depend. I mean, that's a hot take, right? Christ our Lord commands that these things are not, or commends, sorry, are not the best, like just the top of a pecking order. He says that they're foundational. Of all the grand thousands of stones that compose the law and majesty of God, he's saying there are two great foundational blocks. 
love God and love your neighbor. Vertical, horizontal, they're like cross beams of which all the weight is borne, all direction is given, and all the plans make sense, right? So loving one another first follows from loving God and second from loving ourselves. How do we love God? Well, that's a series of sermons, but let me just start. We devote everything to him, his glory, his name, his work, his words. Can we not do that for others? In a way, Jesus says that. Jesus says we see him in the least of these. Can we not devote our heart and soul and strength to their dignity and their well-being? We who would seek to exalt the great name of our God, would we not therefore also seek to find and hear and exalt the good name of our neighbors? Especially those whose name is being drugged through the mud and put down in the trash, rightly or wrongly. How can we labor to exalt them? That is a question and task of love. But also, how do we love our neighbors as ourselves if we hate ourselves? Hear this, in Christ, your name is beloved. If God loves you, do not hate yourself. To deny yourself is not to hate yourself. To deny yourself is to care for goodness and truth and beauty in you by putting away things that get in the way. So take inventory, seriously, with a journal, with a mentor. In what ways might you not love yourself? What shame, what fears, what resentments sour your gaze and pressure cook your insides? Name them. Bring them into the light. That is a fearful thing. But it's like the way a roach fears the light. Let someone else see them, see you, look you in the eyes, and tell you that you are beloved. The light ministers. It will help cast off the weights and sins that cling so closely so that you might run into the arms of your Father. Those who are forgiven much love much. So let yourself be loved in the deepest places that God might use you. So that's one way that it's new, this emphasis and priority. Another is its quality. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it.
but whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. Luke 9, 23, 24. The Apostle Paul echoes this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ first loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And John states it clearly later in this letter. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. That's 1 John 3, 16 and 18. And as Brother Stott puts it, a disciple was to love others not just as he loved himself, but in the same measure that Christ had loved him. With the selfless self-sacrifice, even unto death. Even unto death. Y'all, loving others can be like death, isn't it? Bring a troubled friend into your home and let them stay. It will be death to your plans. Be honest with your own sins and struggles with someone who needs to hear it. And they may shame you or question you, reject you. It'll be death to your feelings. Increase your tithing and your giving each year so that your income actually decreases over time. It will be death to the world's expectations. Forgive and give again, bail out and pick up over and over again to seemingly no avail and it kills a bit of you. The weight of our sin and suffering literally killed Christ our Lord. Like an addict child wastes away their parent. And we are actually called into the same self-sacrificing love. We're called to seek it, to seek out love for ourselves, but also for others through us. And to do that, we gotta get to know people. To get to know someone is to welcome their burdens and enter their pain. And we know that. So let me challenge us with this. Especially in a society that in many ways is built on the notions of safety and convenience. What is the quality of your relationships? And where is the sacrificial love of God It doesn't have to be in every single one of them, but do take inventory. Because if your relationships offer you no suffering, perhaps it is because you are offering no love. And God would have you love. So let him, let him send you. He's not going to send you anywhere that he isn't himself. He's with you, 
He's for you even unto death. And so there's a new quality (laughs) to the love that we have. And third, there's a new extent. There's a new scope. I've been saying one another quite a bit through this sermon, and you may have noticed John in the passage actually says your brother. And in the gospel, it says your neighbor. Neighbor, brother, one another, all. Who is my neighbor? Who is my brother? Now, whereas God's people were always to love their neighbors, and then especially the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, in a sense, these latter groups were always some sort of specially designated other. But Christ has changed that scope. The apostle says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us all to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, siblings, right? There is no other in Christ, only one another. We, brothers, I know brothers, we tend to mean just masculine, but brethren, brothers and sisters, siblings, we don't say siblings so much, okay? Men and women, brothers. Married, single, brothers. Old, young, black, white, brown, red, yellow, tan, slave, masters, husbands and wives, parents and children, rich and poor, blue collar and white collar and no collar, healed and broken, delivered and addicted, victorious and suffering are all brothers. This is the radically exclusive inclusivity of Christ. There is one way to salvation, and he would bring them all through it. One family, united in one father, one brother, Jesus, irrespective of all the categories we love to put up. If he calls them beloved, You call them brother. So how do we practice that? Well, one, get a little weird with it, okay? Call them brother. Seriously. Call one another brother and sister. The communists call one another comrade. And they built a whole society on it. And do we not have something far more real? I could give you a whole digression on that one, okay? All right? It's weird though, preacher, we don't call people that, but that's some of the point. You're not supposed to conform to this society. Conforming to the world does not mean merely like liberal academics. It is the daily habits and postures that we inhabit. And if it seems weird to call one another brother and sister, then let it be. Okay? Try it. It's some of the point of the new norm we are to realize together. 
Or try this, audit the influences in your life. Seriously, audit the people who you listen to and read. Reckon on paper how many times they classify people negatively. Categorizing folks negatively allows us to put them in camps that we do not have to love or can put contingencies upon their love or can mask hate as loving in truth. You are get a get in here. Do not be deceived. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Cut out those influences. Try it for a while. Warren's going on sabbatical. While he's on sabbatical, try not listening to anything. We would all do better just to read the Bible. I'm serious. Okay? Now keep going, right? Learn for love languages. They're practical ways, physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, quality time. Give them generously. Receive them generously. Learn people. What do we have to fear? Like awkwardness? I sense that awkwardness in myself and in the communities I've been in from stigma or lack of practice is one of the greatest barriers of love. And y'all, you're sitting in here believing in the resurrection and the final judgment. You sing songs about drinking blood and eating flesh. That's weird, okay? You're already strange. Lean into it. Some of the simplest things that we can do can bear the most fruit. And maybe you're thinking of a few parables that say that, right? Call one another brother. Cast out other influences. Learn to love one another and ask good questions. We can practice it here in the household of God and that can encourage and equip us to bring it out into our neighbors, our families, the places where we know that it can be really difficult. You don't have to know exactly how it's gonna go. The Spirit promises to take care of that. You just ask the question. He'll give you the words, all right? And so forth and in conclusion, We saw that there was a newness to the scope. There's a newness to the quality. There's a newness to the emphasis. But in some ways, most significantly, there's a continual ever newness to this commandment. It's always new. To love one another is a new commandment because it's always a new opportunity to do it. If to love is to devote our attention and our actions and our affections to the well-being of another, well, there's always a new another, a new situation, new vocabularies, new cultural influences, new manifestation of trouble in our lives and in someone else's life, isn't there? Nothing new under the sun, but it can sure seem that there's a lot of new manifestations. Every new instance is a new call. Some of y'all are engineers of one stripe or another, and I hear y'all say things like solvable problems or the need to iterate, right? Well, the commandment to love is one that requires constant iteration. 
creative adaptation, adaptation and apprehension of this old call to a new situation. And I know that can seem messy and scary. How do we love the friend who says they're suffering mental health? What, is, what does that even mean? Or the coworker who's asking us to use a different pronoun or says that they're something I've never even heard that term before. Or they, my neighbor invites me to a Hindu festival and I don't know how to do any of these things, right? Let's be honest, it's messy. And it can bring a sense of shame that we're not doing it well or dismay that we won't know how to do it well. And you can sense this maybe as just another burden to try. When really, you have your own resentments and fears and shames and lusts and apathies and you just want to play Legos or read a book or do whatever, right? It's hard. And it can be hard like adjusting to the sun after years in a basement. It hurts your eyes and burns your skin and it feels unbearable at times. And I get that. And the Lord gets that. He suffered it. But y'all, let us not fall into aversion or apathy. This is an adventure. It is an adventure for us to rise to. God, your God, your loving Father has not given you newness of life and called you beloved to just leave you and forsake you. He goes before you every day. Every day you get to wake up in wonder, how is it that the Lord is loving today? How is it that the Lord is loving me today? How is it that the Lord will love through me today? What will I get to witness? Rather than let that fall into anxiety, let it be adventure because you have a captain, a life, a lover, a husband, a brother in Jesus Christ who goes before you in the way through every twist and turn and trial and tribulation and hill and valley. He has gone there already and walks with you. Whatever darkness it may seem, we are going to an eternal sunrise and an eternal day. And love is the power source that is bringing us there. Christ ever reigns and is ever present. It is a new teaching for a new age which has dawned because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So get hype about it, right? And let us love one another as we've been loved. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you are love. Incarnate your love among us, I pray in your name. Amen.